Well, good morning, Grumlaw Church. We are so glad that all of you decided to tune in this morning and make Grumlaw a part of your week. Uh, particularly if this is your first time joining us here today. Honestly, we do not take that for granted. Uh, we know you could be doing a lot of different things today, and the fact that you would carve out an hour and spend it here with us, honestly, thank you, thank you, thank you. And if it is your first time here with us this morning, it likely means that you were invited here by someone. And, and to those of you who continue to invite, honestly, inviting here on Sunday mornings has never been easier. Uh, than right now, we again, we just want to say thank you. Uh, you're allowing us during this season to actually have a far greater reach than ever before. And I want to challenge you uh, to keep it up, to, to keep inviting. You never know when that Sunday might be. When you send that text again, when they might finally click it and actually tune in and then, then God could really start working in their lives. So please continue to invite here on Sunday mornings. Uh, as you've likely gathered today, uh, we are continuing in a series that we actually started last week titled Didn't See It Coming. Uh, we, we kind of started this series last week, but in a lot of ways, last week was sort of a standalone message where we had a conversation around race, injustice, and, and the hope that we're able to find in Jesus. Uh, it, it's certainly a topic that's kind of at the forefront of our collective minds in our nation right now, at the forefront of probably a lot of your minds. And so uh, I'm begging you, if you were not here last week, please, 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 please go to grumlaw.com slash messages and listen or watch that message there, particularly if there's just something kind of defensive that rises up inside of you, knowing that we talked about that last week. Uh, you're probably the person, frankly, uh, that needs to watch, that needs to listen to that the most. Or per usual, you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcasts. But the reason that we're doing this series is because uh, for, for every single one of you, all of us, every person that's watching right now, uh, there's probably been quite a bit over the last couple of months that you did not see coming right? The things that have caught you off guard. Uh, COVID's probably the most glaring. Job loss. Uh, suddenly, you parents, you find yourselves as teachers. It's like, what the heck? I never would have wanted to homeschool my kids, but now it's just kind of who I am. Rising racial tensions. Uh, in fact, if you haven't been caught off guard by anything over these last couple of months, uh, please like right over there in the, in the comment section right now, let us know that because I want to start hanging out with you a lot like every single week. Uh, and if you're anything like me, uh, you're probably not a huge fan of surprises, especially those surprises that kind of have a negative undertone. So, see, it's one thing for, for someone, maybe your spouse, a close friend, to throw you a surprise birthday party, even though for some of you that's still pretty much your worst nightmare. But, but, but it's something entirely different when, when the surprise has almost exclusively negative implications for your life. Uh, just a couple of years ago, uh, dear friends of my wife and I's, in fact, they're, they're part of Grumlaw, they attend this church. Uh, their names are David and, and Mallory Reed. They, they were just hit after one thing after another. The, these didn't see it coming moments. And I think everyone who, who knows David and Mallory during that season that they were going through, everybody was just kind of asking like, oh my goodness, like when, are, when is it gonna stop? Like when are they gonna catch a break? Uh, out of nowhere, David, he, he unexpectedly lost his father. There was an underlying heart condition that they had no knowledge of. Uh, shortly after that, his wife, Mallory, she lost her father to a battle with cancer. And then very shortly after that, uh, David got just the heart-wrenching diagnosis of, of brain cancer. Uh, celebratory moment in that. He is now three years cancer-free, which is really, really exciting, defying those odds. But what are we supposed to do with that? How are we supposed to move on after those types of didn't see it coming type seasons in our lives? I mean, it's not just a couple of days. I mean, it just goes on and on and on again. It's one thing after another after another. For, for some of you, I have no doubt 
Some of you who are watching right now, you have that view of God. That, that, that God is a God of surprises. That, that, that he almost takes like this sick pleasure in, in catching you off guard. And what, what I hope that you'll see over the course of this series is that really couldn't be further from the truth. And, and so what we're going to do in, in this series is we're going to look at the lives of four different people, uh, real people who really walked this earth. Uh, we, we read about them in this book that we call the Bible. Four people who were caught off guard, four people who were surprised, four people who didn't see it coming. And watch how in these instances, they, they leaned into God rather than away from him. And in turn, they used their, their faith and, and God's power to their advantage and to the advantage of the people around them. This week, uh, we're going to be peering into the life of a guy who went by the name of Joseph, uh, not Jesus's earthly father. We're actually going a lot farther back than that. In fact, you can't really get that much farther back in this book that we call the Bible, all the way back to the book of Genesis to roughly 1600 BC. And here in this book of Genesis is where we begin to read about this young man's life, this guy who went by the name of Joseph. Now, as a bit of a side note, one of the fascinating details, or at least one of the details that I find to be fascinating regarding the life of Joseph, are all of the parallels that we actually see to the life of Jesus. I really want to challenge you and invite you to, to read about the life of Joseph sometime this week. Uh, you can find this in Genesis chapters 37 through 50, uh, which maybe sounds like a lot of reading, but I'm telling you, if you sat down and you read those chapters like front to back, it would take you probably all of about 30 minutes. And, and, and if you keep that little reminder tucked into the back of your your brain. Again, the idea that there's all these parallels between Joseph and Jesus, I'm confident it will help to bring the life of Joseph to to, to life in a way that you maybe haven't uh, experienced before. But we pick up the story of Joseph here in Genesis chapter 37. It says this here, when Joseph was 17 years old, so a relatively young guy, he often tended his father's flocks. His whole family were a bunch of shepherds. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, but Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing, uh, which modern day translation means that, that Joseph was a bit of a tattletale. Now, I'm, I'm not sure if you kind of caught that little part right there, but, but half-brothers, which means that, that Joseph actually came from a blended family. Many of you who are watching right now, you've experienced divorce firsthand. You know what it's like to be a part of a blended family. Joseph understood well what that experience was like. See, for whatever reason, and I get this a lot as a pastor, a lot of people's perception of the Bible and biblical characters is that they're all perfect, that they have everything perfectly together, and they don't really understand life as we know it. I assure you, if that's your perception of scripture and the people that we find within the pages of the Bible, you have not opened up and read that book for yourself. In Joseph's case, it was a broken, dysfunctional family that was full of sibling rivalries, terrible parenting, as we're going to see here in a second, talking behind people's backs, rising tensions. But, but yet, in the midst of this dysfunction, God still had enormous plans for Joseph. And he wants to use him for immeasurably more than he could imagine. See, regardless, if you're watching right now, regardless of what bad hand you feel like life has dealt you, God is not finished. God has not given up on you. You do not need to be a victim of your circumstances. As you're soon going to see here in Joseph's life, God wants and he longs to use you. I'm begging you, particularly you young people who are, who are watching right now, I, I know that 
For those of you who are, for instance, graduating seniors, that this senior year didn't end up the, the way that you thought it might. Remember, Joseph is only 17 years old. He can relate. Don't allow disappointment to derail. Don't buy into the lie. Don't buy into that lie that Satan wants you to believe, that, that a season of disappointment is somehow going to derail the dream that God has given you, that, that God has for your life, that, that your dreams and your aspirations are over because of what you are now experiencing. If Joseph at this point in his life, he just throws the towel in because his family's dysfunctional, because there's these rising tensions that are brewing, his life and subsequently the, the, the history of the world genuinely would be forever altered. As I and have many others have experienced, and we touched on this early on in this whole COVID crisis, hardship always precedes the extraordinary. When I was actually sitting down to write this, initially I'd written down uh, hardship usually precedes the extraordinary, but then I kind of like racked my brain and thought through this and I was like, I can't think of of a single instance where this wasn't the case. Hardship always precedes the extraordinary. God wants to use, and this is important, if we allow him, because it is your choice. God wants to use those seasons of hardship and trial to build our faith and to build our endurance for what is coming next. And frankly, if we wouldn't have gone through the trial, we would have been ill-prepared for the next that God had laid before us. Don't miss this. The hardship, the trial, it is not an unnecessary burden. It's not a setback. It's not an obstacle. It is a necessary instrument for growth. Back to our story here with Joseph. This is where the horrible parenting comes into play. Jacob, Joseph's father, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. He, he was his youngest son. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph and Joseph alone, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Uh, J- Jacob wasn't exactly being like a stellar father. He- he's showing favoritism to Joseph and he's not really being shy about it, lavishing him with gifts that he wasn't bestowing upon his other children. Uh, one of my favorite things to do uh, with my older two kids, Malachi and Logan, in the summer months in particular, is uh, load them into this canoe. We have a lake across the street from us, and then we rip across the lake. And across the lake, there's this party store that we call Ray's because the guy that owns it, his name is Ray. And we go over to Ray's, and then I let them walk into the store and, and pick out whatever the heck they want to eat. And like the most expensive thing in the store is like $1.50, so it really doesn't matter. So they go around, it's like the best thing ever for them. They pick out their treats, and then I'll load them back up into the canoe. We'll kind of cruise around the lake. Maybe we'll go swimming a little bit. They eat their snacks, and eventually, you know, we go back home. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, my son Malachi, he naps every day about 1, 1.30. Uh, he went down for his nap, and my daughter Logan, she's a little bit more hit or miss when it comes to napping. You know, she's maybe about 50% of the time she'll actually go down for a nap, and this day in particular, it just became really, really apparent that Logan was not going to nap. So I walked into her room, I put her bathing suit on her, and I said, hey, Logan, do you want to go across the lake and go to Mr. Ray's? And of course, she said yes. She's like, heck yeah. And so I load her into the canoe, you know, we rip across the lake, she picks out her treat, and after she had finished eating the treat, we came back home. I looked at her and I said, Logan, make sure that you do not tell Malachi that we went to Mr. Ray's, okay? Because he's going to be jealous, he's going to be mad that he didn't get to go, okay? We, we understand, like, mum's the word. And she's like, yep, got it. Now, Malachi wakes up, you know, about a half an hour later, and about five seconds after he emerges from his room, what do you suppose my daughter Logan does? She walks right up to him and says, Daddy took me to Ray's. 
And I'm telling you, this look came across my son's face. I mean, he crosses his arms. He gets this disgruntled, angry. I mean, it's like this perfect combination of I am so mad at you, but I'm so disappointed that I might cry. And he's just like staring daggers at me. He's like wondering, you can see his brain working, like what the heck else do you guys do when I go to sleep? You you taking Logan to Cedar Point too? Like he's mad. Now, now, ironically, he's actually in that moment not most irritated with me. At least that's not how he's expressing it. He, He actually expressed the majority of his frustration towards his older sister. Even though Logan was just kind of going along with with dad's idea. So frequently in life, think think about this. The individual you are most frustrated with is not the person that ends up being on the receiving end of your wrath, of your anger, of your frustration. I mean, you you have a terrible day at work and some terrible altercation with, with your boss, who ends up bearing the brunt of that? Your boss? No. Usually it's, it's your spouse, your kids, your coworkers. I mean, Colin, I, every single one of you parents out there who are watching right now, I know that you have experienced this before. You are so frustrated with your kids that they seem to be doing everything the opposite of what you have asked them to do. And, and meanwhile, your spouse, who has done nothing wrong, ends up being on the receiving end of your dirty looks. And, and your demeaning remarks and your cold shoulders. It, isn't it true that, that we frequently do this to God as well? S- someone in our life, they, they, they treat us unfairly. Maybe you've been taken advantage of. He cheats, she leaves, they don't invite. And, and what do we do? We, we oftentimes start clenching our fist at God looking up to the heavens, screaming, what in the heck is your problem? God, why would you allow? Why did you? (laughs) What did God do? And and that's precisely what's happening right here with Joseph. He, he, He wasn't asking for special treatment. He wasn't seeking this out. That, that's on his father, Jacob. Now, granted, he was stirring the coals a little bit by, by tattling on his siblings, but, but ultimately, this is a parenting issue. This is a Jacob issue. This is a dad issue, not a Joseph issue. Now, now again, for, for the sake of time, I, I don't have time to break down, again, the entire story of Joseph verbatim, so, so please, again, I want to challenge you to read this for yourself. But shortly after this, uh, Joseph, <clears throat> he starts having these dreams, and he's not shy about sharing these dreams, actually. He starts going to his brothers and his family, and he shares what he's going on in these dreams. And it's very easy to interpret that these dreams mean that someday Joseph is going to be like lording over. He's going to be the king over his entire family, and, and he's telling them all about it. Uh, and none of them are, are, are terribly excited to hear about this, especially given the fact that he's already been dubbed the golden boy by his father. And not too long after that, he, he goes to find his brothers who are tending the flocks. Again, they're shepherds. And... They, they, they see Joseph coming from a distance in his, in his brightly colored coat that was only given to him. And, and because such resentment and because such jealousy has been brewing under the surface, has been brewing in their hearts, and, and really it's towards their father, but it's expressed towards Joseph, that they, they, they plot how to get rid of Joseph. They, they literally start having a conversation. And again, you can read this for yourself. How can we get rid of our younger brother for good? 
So, so they initially start discussing how, how, how they can kill him, and, and most of them are on board with that. And then one brother speaks up, and he's like, I, I don't know if we should really murder our brother. Then there was like an empty cistern, I think of a big empty well, and they thought, okay, well, what, what if we just shoved him down into that, and we just kind of let nature do its thing? Maybe he'll get eaten by animals, maybe he'll eventually just starve to death. And that's what they settle on, so, so they shove him into the cistern. And, and then they're sitting around eating their lunch, and again, apparently Joseph's just kind of overhanging out in this cistern, and in the distance, they, they, they see some Midianite traders that are headed their way. And, and one of the brothers gets this bright idea. He says, okay, like we're already going like to leave them to nature. What, what if we sold them as a slave to these traders, and then we can actually make some coin over our brother? I mean, you talk about you know, knocking out two birds with one stone. It's like we get rid of our brother and we get paid. Like doesn't get much better than that. And that's what it says here in verse 28. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Uh, By the way, if you ever thought that one of your siblings is like a complete turd, I assure you that it could get worse. Sometimes, and again, this will sound terrible if you don't have kids, but if you're a parent, you'll understand. Sometimes I'll just kind of watch my, my two older kids like really fighting amongst themselves. And you just like don't even have the energy to break it up. And it starts getting pretty brutal. I just kind of sit back and remind myself, at least Logan has not sold Malachi into slavery. Yet. N- needless to say, this caught Joseph off guard. Things were going pretty well for Joseph. He was the golden boy. He was the favored son. And all of a sudden, in an instant, he is taken away and ripped away from his family and sold to a foreign land. He didn't see it coming. I I think every single one of us can agree who are watching right now that some of the most difficult hurts to recover from are are those that are inflicted by family members, those that are inflicted by those that we are closest to. But, but, But Joseph still clung to the Lord. He he clung to the truth that God wanted to use him, even though the odds were seemingly starting to stack against him. See, see, when we're faced with surprises, when we're faced with unfortunate events, hardships, crisis, trials, and, and they will come our way, there's no stopping them. It is our choice. It is your decision to cling to God's truth or to allow your circumstances to define you. God isn't throwing a pity party. That's your decision. That that is on you. And, and, And if we choose, if we choose to cling to his truth, if we choose to cling to our faith in him, we We will emerge stronger with a more unshakable faith. We will develop, as scripture often talks about, we will develop endurance. Throughout college, I worked for the men's soccer team. I was the director of soccer operations, which is honestly kind of just a really nice way of saying I was the manager. And what happened, because the soccer season in college began in the fall, all of the athletes, uh, or at least the soccer players, uh, they would be required to report to campus about a month before like everybody else showed up. And, and so you basically had the whole campus to yourself, but because there wasn't any schoolwork, it meant, and all of you athletes who are watching, you probably remember this well, it meant two-a-days, which meant that you had two practices a day and they were long practices. And, and the practices didn't really focus on skill and game plan. It was mostly conditioning. And, and you would have these like, you know, good-looking, tan dudes showing up on campus. They look pretty fit. And it's like, man, like halfway through the first practice, they're like keeling over, like barfing, because again, they're so out of shape. But yet, 
In, in my experience there, not one of them ever said, I'm done. Not one of them ever quit the team because they recognized that they were developing something that they would need later. That they recognized that this was actually for their benefit down the road and it would in turn make them a better athlete and a better team as a whole. They were developing, again, endurance. Even though you, maybe in the midst of a hardship, in the midst of a trial, you might not want to experience it again, you can see the good that it's doing for us and how it better prepares you for what is next. It indeed becomes a necessary instrument for growth. I'll just be vulnerable and share with all of you, and for a lot of you, this probably won't come as a surprise, that this is hands down, hands down, the most difficult season that I have ever led through. That there was nothing in college, there was no amount of preparation that would have prepared me for this moment, that this season that we are going through right now. And I'll admit that it's been tempting at times and I'm glad that it's passed pretty quickly. It's been tempting for me to just say, forget it. But instead I have chose, my decision, I have chose to cling to God. I truly believe that I'm leaning into him more than ever. As a church, as the leader of this church, I'm emerging with more clarity for the future of this church than ever before. I truly believe I've become a better parent, a better husband, a better boss, a more compassionate, a more understanding leader. Just these last two weeks alone, I've gained so much insight and had more constructive conversations about race and injustice than ever before. In some ways, it's embarrassing to admit this, but I doubt I would have set that amount of time aside. I doubt that I would have had these, this number of conversations without this pandemic that we're experiencing right now. Now, do I want to go through this again? Would I vote for an annual pandemic for our country to go through? No. But, but do I see the good? Yeah. Am I, dare I say it, thankful for this season that we're in right now? Absolutely. And, and, and here's the scary part of this. As I was processing this, as I was writing this message, th this could have just as easily gone the opposite direction. It, it would have been easy to throw the pity party. And, and it was tempting sometimes. It, it is not hard to imagine emerging fr from this the worst version of myself that I have ever been. It's not hard to think and dream about Grumlaw being in the worst position to date with more unknown than ever before, but instead the complete opposite has occurred. See, fear sees a crisis, faith sees an opportunity. Fear sees a crisis, faith sees an opportunity. Joseph chose to cling to his faith. And, and as a result, he saw nothing but opportunities ahead of him. And I'm posing to all of you watching right now, you have the same choice in front of you. It's a choice. And as we'll see with the life of jo Joseph, it is a choice that he will choose over and over again. In fact, one of the phrases uh, that we see all throughout the story of, of Joseph, again, in that book of Genesis is this, is that the Lord was with Joseph. I mean, I, I didn't count how many times, but it, it's like constant. The Lord was with Joseph. Let me make this really, really clear. God makes himself available to every single person whom is watching right now. He, he desires, he longs to be close to you. He, he wants a relationship with you. 
But, but honestly, one of the things that just drives me nuts that I hear an awful lot from, from American Christians, from American churchgoers in particular, is the sentiment of, I just don't feel God. God doesn't seem close to me. God never, never does anything like that in my life. Isn't it possible, just have an honest moment with you, isn't it possible that the reason that you feel such a distance between you and God is because you really don't have a relationship with him? A recent study shows that only about 30%, 30% of regular churchgoers, regular American churchgoers, even have a weekly quiet time, a weekly daily, like a weekly encounter with their heavenly father. Just once a week, 30%. Why in the world would you feel God if you really don't have any semblance of a relationship with him? It's preposterous. Draw closer to God and he will draw closer to you. It's why around here we make such a big deal of fighting for a daily time with him. I truly believe it's the single most important habit that you could develop in your life. The, the, the reason the Lord, as it says here, was, was, was with Joseph is because Joseph drew close to God. He, he clung to his faith. He, he clung to that relationship with God. And, and again, as a result, rather than seeing a crisis that would derail his dream, all he saw was opportunity. All he saw was opportunity in front of him. Rather than a crisis, rather than a trial, rather than hardship, Joseph saw it all as preparation for the next that lay ahead of him. Uh, allow me to kind of give you the Reader's Digest version of, of the rest of Joseph's life. By the way, I have no idea what in the heck that actually means. All I know is that like old people like my dad like say Reader's Digest version, and apparently it just means like they're going to quickly summarize something. But Reader's Digest, it just kind of sounds cooler, doesn't it? All right, so as we just talked about, uh, he's sold into slavery by his brothers. It's like, okay, they talked about killing him, but instead they decide to sell him into slavery. Uh, and, and wouldn't you know it, he's actually purchased by Potiphar, uh, the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, Pharaoh being the king of Egypt. So, so he found himself working for, as there's not really working for, as a slave under Potiphar. And, and Potiphar, he, he quickly uh, recognizes that, that Joseph is, is not just like your run-of-the-mill dude. He has a lot of wisdom. He's, he's a pretty sharp guy. And so he, he gains Potiphar's trust and respect. He, even realizing, read, read this stuff for yourself, even realizing that the Lord was with Joseph because Joseph was constantly giving God the credit for everything in his life. And because Joseph was so sharp and because Joseph was so quick to win his trust and respect, eventually he actually puts Joseph in charge of like everything, basically in, in charge of his entire life. Now, wouldn't you know it, uh, Joseph also happens to be apparently, we're told, a pretty handsome guy as well. So he's confident, he's, he's handsome, and he kind of wins the eye of, of Potiphar's wife. And again, this stuff is actually in the Bible. Potiphar's wife is, is constantly making these advances towards Joseph and constantly literally flat out asking Joseph to sleep with her. He keeps saying no and no, no over and over again. 
Uh, but eventually this culminates where actually one day she pulls Joseph down uh, on top of her. Uh, he still pulls away. She grabs all of his clothes, rips a chunk of his clothing off. And, and rather than facing the embarrassment that Joseph has again rejected her, she instead, Potiphar's wife, falsely accuses Joseph of rape. What, what a nice woman. Because of these accusations, he's thrown into prison for said false charges. Uh, but again, the warden, the person that's overseeing the prison, uh, recognizes that Joseph isn't just your run-of-mill dude, that he's very wise, that, that God is with him. Uh, and, and before you know it, he's actually placed in charge of the entire prison. I mean, you talk about seizing an opportunity. He goes from accused rapist to running the entire operation. Kind of impressive. While he's in jail, uh, he correctly interprets a couple people's dreams who, who were thrown into prison by Pharaoh. And he casually mentions to these people, hey, if you happen to ever meet anybody else that needs their dreams interpreted, maybe mention the fact that I'm down here in this prison and I might be able to help them out. Wouldn't you know it? Not too long after that, Pharaoh, as in like the king of the entire land, he has some dreams that nobody's able to interpret. And one of these gentlemen that they mentioned to Pharaoh, they say, hey, Pharaoh, there was this guy when we were in jail and he correctly interpreted our dreams. I mean, like right down to a T, you might try him. And so Pharaoh, he summons for Joseph, he tells the dream and he correctly, Joseph correctly interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He explains to them, hey, this is what your dream means. There, there's gonna be seven years of prosperity followed up by seven years of famine. Seven really great years here in Egypt and then seven really dry years. And, and then he just kind of goes on to casually recommend that, hey, you would be wise to, to appoint someone to oversee the land during this 14-year period. So during those seven years of prosperity, you are storing up, you are saving a certain percentage so when the famine comes along, we, the people here in Egypt, aren't starving to death, that we're gonna be a-okay. And Pharaoh thinks about this for a minute and he goes, well, who better to appoint than you? So he's actually appointed the ruler of Egypt. He, he becomes second in command, second in command of the entire nation. The only person who had more authority was Pharaoh himself. All this happened, by the way, before the age of 30. Uh, he does well. He prepares well for the famine and Egypt becomes the storehouse for much of the ancient world. During those seven years of prosperity, he has everybody set aside a certain percentage so that when the famine strikes, when the famine occurs, uh, Egypt is fine. And in fact, they have more than enough so that all of the surrounding peoples are traveling to Egypt because they have heard through the grapevine that Egypt prepared well for the famine, that they somehow saw this coming. And eventually the story comes full circle because Joseph's brothers come to purchase food because they are without food. They hear that Egypt has food and eventually, and again, this is very, very fast forward version. Eventually, Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers. He hears actually specifically what he says to them. He says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. Like, remember that little tidbit when you're thinking about killing me, but then you ended up selling me as a slave? Nice. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. <laughs> This, this response is out of control. He says, it was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. He says, this famine that has ravaged the land for two years, it'll actually last for five more years and there'll be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me. This was his plan. God sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve Many survivors, not just you guys, but a lot of people are going to survive because we stored up for those seven years. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one. He is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all Egypt. <laughs> As I was reading this, I was just like so struck by this response. I mean, there, there's not even a hint of bitterness. 
No spite. No anger. Like, wouldn't we expect this to kind of be like a juicy moment where it's like, okay, here's Joseph. He's going to really let his brothers have it. But, but no, instead, he's just laser focused on God's plan for his life. Now, would Joseph want to endure all of that again? My guess would be no. But was he smart enough? Was he smart enough to recognize and see how it was all preparing him for immeasurably more than he could have ever imagined. And you better believe it. Now fast forward a little bit farther, and eventually Jacob, uh, Joseph's father, eventually dies. And upon his death, all of his brothers start looking at each other going, is it possible? I mean, it has to at least be a possibility that maybe the reason that like he wasn't enacting vengeance on us is because like he was just trying to keep dad happy. But now that dad's not here to protect us, like th- there's no way he's not actually mad, right? Th- th- there's no way that he's not actually bitter that again, we sold him as a slave, right? And Joseph again reassures them. He says, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that, that I can punish you? You, my brothers, you intended to harm me. But God, but God, but God intended it all for good. He brought me. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I'll continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Make no mistake about it. The, the, the evil one wants to use the didn't see it coming moments of our lives to harm us. He, he longs to see those moments fester, to create dissension, dissension and, and tension and bitterness, but God, but, but God has different plans. God wants to use it all, all for good. Not just some of it, all of it. Listen, we can go round and round debating why God allows certain things to happen or why some people seem to have an easier time than others. And I'm telling you just, I ask those questions too. But if we stay there, if we don't move on from there, church, we are going to miss it. We are gonna miss the point. As long as you stay focused on the crisis, you will miss out on the opportunity. God desires, he wants, he longs to use your present circumstances as negative as they might seem in the moment for good. And not just some of them, all of them. So so, so yes, you you can keep on throwing your pity party. You, You can allow disappointment to derail. You can use bitterness and anger and resentment. And that will get you exactly where you presently find yourself. Joseph chose God's dream rather than despair. He he chose to get better rather than be bitter. You, You too can choose this. You all have the opportunity to choose Jesus. You can see this as an opportunity that God's gonna use for good if you choose faith and you lean into him rather than than away from him, recognizing that hardship always precedes the miraculous. And and y'all, it's not too late. It's not too late, even in this present crisis in our nation, to choose Jesus. 
And, and guess what? When, when this one's done, when this crisis is over, when, when this pandemic is in our rearview mirror, guess what? Hardship and trials and crisis and didn't see it coming moments, they're going to keep coming. They're going to keep forever being a part of our lives. But God has not abandoned you. Trust that he is preparing you, preparing you for immeasurably more than you could have ever imagined.